Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life Community Church. We are located at 134 Lakewood Drive in Luling and invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030. Please visit our website at newlifeluling.com for more information on our ministries. We pray that this message will encourage you on your faith journey as you seek to live, understand, and share God's Word. Today's scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Something like a glass sea, like crystal, was in front of the throne. In the center, by the throne, were four living creatures encircling the throne. These creatures were covered with eyes on the front and on the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a human being. And the fourth living creature was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four creatures had six, had six wings, and each was covered all around and on the inside with eyes. They never rest day or night, but kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is coming. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. You may be seated. bow our heads in prayer. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I don't think I have to tell you, but the book of Revelation is probably one of the strangest books in the Bible. It has these bizarre images. I mean, you see with the artists, they're trying to, to draw it just like it says, and they're going, I don't know, this can't be right. You know, what's all these eyes doing all over these animals? And it's so strange. And the, the visions that John had were so profound, so bizarre, you know, they had to be hard to put into words. So in these chapters, in, in chapters 4 and 5, John's whisked away by the Spirit, 
And there a door opens in which he enters and he sees the throne of God. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain the throne of God? How do you put that into words? And how do you put into words the things that he saw? The throne there, the, the rainbow colors. It's like a massive laser light show that, uh, that has the sounds of thunder, flashes of lightning. You got these 24 people that are, that are surrounding the throne and they're praising God and they're taking their crowns off and throwing them down before the Lord. You've got these four living creatures, which are rather strange looking, but they, they, they're all these magnificent sounds of lightning and thunder and singing and worship. And it's a wonder John's head just didn't explode right there on the island of Patmos because it would just be too hard to grasp all that and to put it down. And so as Christians, we read it and we go, huh? I I don't get it. What is that? And so we struggle, and we've struggled through the ages to try to to figure this out and bring meaning to this part of John's vision, and and it can really be a head-scratcher. So I really I want us to look at the big picture. It's always helpful for us, if we're going to understand the little things that are there through Revelations, if we understand what is the big picture of that, why is that even written, what is it there for? And so we we start looking at that. When it was written, the book of Revelation uh, was written, the church was going through a, a time of great persecution. Now the Roman emperor at that time was Domitian. And Domitian was one that wanted to pull together his empire as Roman emperors would often do. And so he proclaimed himself divine, but unfortunately started to believe it. And he thought that he was a god. And he said, this is the way that we're going to show loyalty to Rome. Everyone in the Roman empire has to come and bow down before my image and you have to just burn a pinch of incense, and you have to say Caesar is Lord. That's it. Go your merry way after that. You do that, you're fine. And so Domitian really pushed that. But if anyone refused, they'd be punished. They'd be punished by beatings or confiscation of property or imprisonment or death. So that's when you start thinking about, ah, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad just to do that. But what do I do? The Christians would not bow down. They would not bow down because they would only say, Jesus is Lord, no one else. Jesus is Lord. And so the Apostle John uh, was bishop in the churches of Ephesus in his very late uh, age, and he was arrested. He was exiled to the, the, uh, the prison island of Patmos. And while he was there, John had these visions and these revelations of things to come, these dreams and and uh, it it's almost looks like, you know, it looks like he's eaten something in one of the caves there. Or had hallucinations from some kind of mushrooms that he ate. But it's not. You know, Jesus comes to him and appears to him and shows him these things. And he wrote this way for a couple of reasons. The reasons why he wrote with these strange images, two reasons. And I already mentioned one. One is because how do you put into words something that goes beyond words, something you've never seen before. And you're just grasping at how do you communicate this because he's got to communicate this to the rest of the churches. The second reason is because he writes in a particular genre of of literature called apocalyptic literature. 
And apocalyptic literature is like uh, the literature uh, that some of Daniel was written in. When you read some of Daniel's dreams. Or Ezekiel, you see the wheel within the wheel and the different creatures that are there. You know, and you read uh, Isaiah, uh, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And he has this image of God. And it's, it's written, the, uh, they use this kind of language. They had these kinds of images to hide the true meaning of the visions in a time of persecution. Because if you went straight out and said some of this stuff, and emperor heard about it, that's it. But when you start having these different uh, beings in it, you know, people are just going to uh, pass it off. So John used these images to hide the true meanings of the visions in times of persecution. But the Christians who read Revelations, um, who are going through this time of suffering, they would understand the symbolism. They would get it because they're applying it to their time. And they're going, oh, I know who that is. And they would assign the names of people and uh, situations. And so they, find, they found that they believed that God... God was with them. If God is giving this vision, then he knows what we're going through right now. So Christians would, would feel um, safe because of these hidden meanings. But more important, they'd be encouraged by the main message of Revelation. And I've told you this before. What is the main message of Revelation? You can explain it to someone, all of Revelation, in two words. God wins. That's it. God wins. Now, if you're going through a time of persecution and you're thinking that the church is going to be destroyed and your family is going to be destroyed, God wins is really pretty good news. You know, you're on the winning side. So so it gives this sense of hope. And so hold on. Don't give in to the demands of Caesar uh, because only Jesus is Lord. Even if you lose everything, even if you lose your life, life is but a mist anyway. God has a special place for you that is so fantastic, so beyond words, you can only imagine. God wins, so hold on. Live a life of faith that honors Christ because the world that awaits you is so much greater than anything that this world has to offer. So the book of Revelation is read and preached the most in times of persecution throughout the world. If you go into some uh, third world countries and some countries that are under, uh, under the thumb of government and being persecuted, this is the book that they read because they're looking for the fact that God wins and that gives them hope in their time of persecution. And it changes the way that they live and it changes the way that we live when we begin to understand it. So with that in mind... So, okay, let's go back to the, uh, the vision of heaven in Revelation 4. And, uh, and what is that saying to us this morning? Okay, you got these elders and these four creatures. Some Bible scholars say that, that the elders are the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. <clears throat> but actually what they represent is all the redeemed of the world. All those who have followed Christ faithfully. All the redeemed of the world, Jews and Gentiles. And they had the four creatures and so the, the image is kind of strange looking. Around the throne in the center were four living creatures covered front and back with eyes. That's kind of creepy looking. The first creature was like a lion. The second one was like a bull. The third one had the face of a human. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and their bodies were covered with eyes. Day and night, they never stopped singing. 
Day and night, they ever stop. The four beings, they have, we have all kinds of interpretations. And I read some that said, okay, that's the four attributes of God, power, faithfulness, intelligence, and sovereignty. Uh, but there are more attributes than that, so what do you do with that? Others say that they re- represent the four sides of the camp of Israel in Exodus, north, south, east, and west. But I don't know what that would mean. Uh, two, it could be the four corners of the earth. That uh, is a little bit better. Four symbols in the zodiac. I don't get that at all. Uh, the most common interpretation is that they, uh, and this is the more historic interpretation, is that they represent the four Gospels. The lion represents uh, the royalty of Jesus, St. Matthew. The oxen, the service of who he is, St. Mark. The human, uh, representing a sense of intelligence and, uh, and for all people, St. J- Luke. And the eagle, St. John, and we'll talk about why that is. Uh, all seen in a sense. And they're all considered to be four cherubim. Now, remember, you sang that a little bit earlier about the cherubim and seraphim. Do you remember that? What song was that? Uh, oh, there's a quiz. Oh, no. It was an open book. Holy, holy, holy. We just sang that. It's two, two rankings of angels, actually. These are considered to be cherubim. These are four cherubim. <clears throat> and cherubim are there in heaven to praise God. That's their job. They do that all the time, and they're praising God. And so these are are cherubim. They're angels of the highest order, and they surround the throne of God, and they lead in worship. And this is what they say. Day and night, they never stop singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the all-powerful God, who was and is and is coming The living creatures kept praising, honoring, thanking the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. And there was a response. They said that, or they sang that, and then the 24 elders in all of heaven sang the rest of it. And that's the next time. At the same time, the 24 elders knelt down before the one sitting on the throne. And as they worshiped the one who lives forever, they placed their crowns in front of the throne and said, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things, and by your decision they are and were created. And so they're praising God this whole time. So in this series on eagle's wings, we're looking at what we can learn from um, the references to eagles in the Bible. And then here's one I found and went, oh gosh, what am I going to do with that? But as I looked at it, it started to, to understand as I studied it, you know, there, here is an eagle that's in heaven. And first I wondered, what is he doing there? What is he doing there in heaven? And this isn't just any eagle. He has six wings and he has eyes all over uh, on the top and on the bottom. So it's, it's not just an eagle there, but it's an e- sitting there, but he's in flight too. So that mentions, so the fact that he's in flight, he's got all these eyes on him, it, it comes across as that uh, the symbol is, is that he's all seeing. He's able to see all things, and all of the four creatures can see all things everywhere. That's what the eyes symbolize. And it comes across with seeing, and with the eagle especially, vision as sharp as an eagle. Now, have you ever heard the phrase that someone is eagle-eyed? You ever heard that before, maybe? You know, that means they're able to see everything around them. An eagle in flight, he's able to see from, from hundreds of yards, it seems, up and down to the earth, and they can see the slightest movement. So if they detect any movement that for food, they're down there. They can go 98 miles per hour down. 
That's how they can go so very quickly down in order to, to get that food. But they're seeing everything. They're able to see all things. So they, they have the eyes of an eagle. They're eagle-eyed. The eagles also uh, seem like they can spin their heads completely around. Have you ever seen that? You know, they're sitting there, and all of a sudden their head is looking behind them. I think, oh my gosh, you know, what is, what's wrong with that thing? It's, you know, like a bad movie or something where he's able to spin his head around. But eagles can actually turn their heads around 210 degrees. So that's almost two-thirds of the way around. So this is 50 you know, where you, or at least this is, I guess, well, it's not 50 degrees. I'm sorry. Forget the degrees thing. They're able to turn their percent. Okay, percentage. That's what I'm looking for. They can turn around 50% all the way around looking to their back and then even to the side over here. So they can see all the way around their heads and a little bit more. You know, it, it just made me think of uh, some of the teachers that I had and my mom you know, uh, who had eyes in the back of her head because you always seem to know what, you know, what bad things were doing. I kind of like this eye chart. Now, it was the chart on the back of the, of the chair. Now, if you'll read the eyes in the back of your head chart, I'll check your mom vision. And so I know we've got a lot of good people that have some pretty good mom vision. So, so here, the eagle in heaven represents one who is able to see all things. Now, what would it be like for you and me to see your whole life from the very beginning, from the time you were born to the very end. What would it be like if you saw that all at once, kind of in a panoramic view, to objectively look back into our past and into our future? How would we live our lives differently if we were able to live our lives backwards, to go back and correct our mistakes and refocus our lives towards a more hopeful future? Now, what, what would I say to the younger me? There's a song about that. What would I say to the younger me? Boy, I'd have some big warnings for me. You know, as Christians, we are to live with the end in mind. Have you ever heard that? That we are to live with the end in mind. And maybe that's where Stephen Covey came up with, the, I think that was the second of the seven habits of, of effective people. Habit number two, begin with the end in mind. If you know what your final goal is, then you adjust all of your efforts, you adjust all of your resources, you adjust everything towards reaching that final goal, all of your activities. Now, you do that now so because you're looking ahead to where you want to go. And so, you know, if your goal is to stand on the podium with uh, in the Olympics and you want to be one of the Olympians with the gold medal around your neck, and you're on the highest pole, uh, the highest uh, podium there. And uh, what do you do? Well, you don't, you don't walk up like me, walking up to there and going, okay, I think I won. You start when you're little. You start, if, if it's gymnastics, you start with those regular, everyday practices, day in, day out, uh, the classes, the exercises, the competitions. You work your way up a little bit at a time. You begin with the end in mind. So how do we as Christians live with the end in mind? If our final goal is heaven, living with Christ, then how do we live now? How do we adjust our lives? How do we point everything that we are living with the end in mind? 
I mean, if we go to the end, the end is what we're looking for, you know. At every funeral service I have, you know, everybody wants to be looking at where are they at, you know, what's the end like, you know, where will they be? And so, you know, we imagine if we can look backwards, if we can start with just being in the joy of the presence of Christ and all the saints who have gone before you, and you're there, living in the Father's house, in a place prepared for you by Jesus. Okay, let's move backwards a little bit. At the time of your death, we don't know when that's going to be. We don't know how it's going to be. But if you're, if you're aware, if you uh, have some way of looking at the time of your death, a death knowing about heaven, what would you look back on your life about? What would you regret? What would you be saying, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I would have done something different there. What would you be regretting? You know, what would we do? how would we deal with our money about tithing? You know, what is God's and what is ours? How do we love God, love people, and serve the world? Did you live your life too small? Well, take another step back in life. As you live your senior years and your retirement years, what would you change in how you live for Christ? Do you just give up because, oh, man, I'm tired and I did that and I've been there, done that, you know, now we're just going to take a break from church. I've heard people say that, retired people say that before. You know, is that, is that what we do? You know, is that what we would do if we're there standing with Christ? You know, how would we explain that? So instead, you know, would, instead would we be looking at creative ways of serving Christ that we can serve him to our last breath? We might not be able to do the stuff like we did when we were younger, but we can still do something. We're still breathing. Another step back, how would you change your working years? How would you change raising your family? What moral and ethical decisions would you make that would be different then? And what would you do differently keeping the end in mind? Another step. How would you live as a young adult, a youth, a child, uh, with your life ahead of you? Not just floating around like a feather in the wind and, hey, whatever happens, but instead just living a life of purpose and direction, knowing that this is where I want to go. This is where I want to end up at the very end of my life, after whatever I do at work and everything else, that this is where I want to go. How would I live? You know, how would I make clear decisions to follow Jesus. You know, when I start with a a regular time of reading my Bible and saying my prayers, that's a great start. How would I begin with the end in mind of living in heaven with Jesus? C.T. Stude once said, and I love this, they made a song out of this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Repeat that with me if you would. Only one life will will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's a story of a, a young immature evil, eagle that's helping itself to some fresh roadkill. And there's a beautiful full-grown adult eagle that majestically lands right next to him you know, on the side of the road there. And the young eagle looks, looks at the, the great eagle in, in wonder, you know, gosh, I would, have, would like to be like that when I grow up. And he, and he just sees the majesty of this eagle, and he asks him, where'd you come from? And the great eagle says, I come from heaven. And the young eagle says, well, where's heaven? Heaven, said the great eagle, have you never heard of heaven? And the beautiful bird begins to describe the glory of God. 
and the grandeur of the eternal city. And she tells of the streets of gold and the gates that, and walls that are made of precious stones and the river of life that's pure as crystal upon whose banks is the tree whose leaves shall be for the healing of the nations. And in very eloquent terms, uh, the great eagle tries to, to describe the angelic hosts, these, these angels that live in this other world. But it didn't really arouse the slightest interest on the part of the young eagle. And finally, the young eagle asks, was there any roadkill there? And the eagle says, roadkill? Of course not. And then the young eagle, as it continued its search along the side of the road, said, well, you can have your heaven. I want roadkill. We seem to only settle for what we know or what we're told by others or by television, or the internet, or the shopping channel, or whatever we, we think we really want. We settle for so much less. It's all roadkill in comparison to what awaits for those who live for Christ day in and day out. And Jesus, the Son of God Himself, has come down from heaven, and He's explained it to us. He tells us what awaits us, and it seems like we're just waiting for someone else. Well, is there anybody else that'll tell me something? Well, it's the Son of God Himself. So maybe if we, if we would look eagle-eyed at the end of life, uh, we would do whatever, whatever it would take. And, and we look at life like that, and whenever I do a funeral service, everybody is thinking that. You know, we're thinking, we start thinking of our own end. You know, I go home and hug Rhonda tight, because we know this life is brief. And so, but, but and all of us start thinking of what's that going to, you know, what's my future? What am I going to look like when I'm in there? I hope that I have a made up right, you know, or I've, I hope everything will be right. It, that's not all that we're looking at. We're looking at something else. We're looking at beyond that. Whenever we hear the word cancer or we're faced with a terrible disease or injury, we begin to imagine our own death. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die. And then we look through the eyes of John in Revelation, through the eyes of the eagle in heaven, and the wondering glory of those who live for Christ. And that's why we get goosebumps when we sing, I can only imagine, or holy, 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 or Revelation song, or is he worthy? It's not meant to just to be a sentimental song, a sentimental feeling where we shed a tear and we walk away unchanged. Our vision of heaven is meant to give us hope in a world that's gone mad. God wins. Hold on. Live your life with the end in mind. And so when we can see with our mind's eye a vision of our goal, then we begin to change our lives, to make adjustments. Sometimes we have to start small. Start with the small ones if you need to. Jump to the big ones if, you, if that's what you need in order to get things right. If you could see what the eagle in heaven sees, how would you live your life now with that goal in mind? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, I know a lot of times I've... Um, I know even sometimes I literally do this. I'm walking down the street. My head is looking down. I guess I'm looking for pennies in the road or something usually deep in thought, but then, then I remember to look up and to remember the greatness of who you are, the beauty of your creation, the vastness of the sky. What are we in the midst of all this? And yet you've created us just a little bit lower than the angels. 
And so that, so that we would understand the greatness of who we are in Christ. That through Jesus, that we're made a child of the living God. A child of the King. And that we're meant to live a life that's holy. A life that's set apart for you. A life that's different. And Lord, we've struggled with it because it's, it's not easy. That narrow road sure gets awful narrow sometimes. And we're not so sure we can do it. And sometimes we do mess up. We, we run off the road. We run after the things that we thought we were interested in. But we, all, we, we need to come back, Lord. To come back to you, to where you are. Get on the right path again. So Lord, speak to our hearts today about, about what we might do to adjust our lives so that we're focused more upon keeping the end in mind. That one day that we'll see with our own eyes and our own minds face to face what John saw in this very strange vision. It'll be so much more than we ever, ever could have figured out. And we'll completely understand it because we'll be beholding you. So Lord, that is our hope. So speak to us today, Lord. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.